Good evening, everyone. Our Bible reading tonight comes from the book of 1 Samuel, chapter 16. So we'll do this in two parts. I'll kick off and then Sarah will continue. The Lord said to Samuel, How long will you mourn for Saul, since I've rejected him as king over Israel? Fill your horn with oil and be on your way. I am sending you to Jesse of Bethlehem. I have chosen one of his sons to be king. But Samuel said, How can I go? If Saul hears about it, he will kill me. The Lord said, Take a heifer with you and say, I have come to sacrifice to the Lord. Invite Jesse to the sacrifice, and I will show you what to do. You are to anoint for me the one I indicate. Samuel did what the Lord said. When he arrived at Bethlehem, the elders of the town trembled when they met him. They asked, do you come in peace? Samuel replied, yes, in peace. I have come to sacrifice to the Lord. Consecrate yourselves and come to the sacrifice with me. Then he consecrated Jesse and his sons and invited them to the sacrifice. When they arrived, Samuel saw Eliab and thought, Surely the Lord's anointed stands here before the Lord. But the Lord said to Samuel, Do not consider his appearance or his height, for I have rejected him. The Lord does not look at the things people look at. People look at the outward appearance, but the Lord looks at the heart. Then Jesse called Abinadab and had him pass in front of Samuel. But Samuel said, the Lord has not chosen this one either. Jesse then had Shammah pass by, but Samuel said, nor has the Lord chosen this one. Jesse had seven of his sons pass before Samuel, but Samuel said to him, the Lord has not chosen these. So he asked Jesse, are these all the sons you have? There is still the youngest, Jesse answered. He's tending the sheep. Samuel said, send for him. We will not sit down until he arrives. So he sent for him and had him brought in. He was glowing with health and had a fine appearance and handsome features. Then the Lord said, rise and anoint him. This is the one. So Samuel took the horn of oil and anointed him in the presence of his brothers. And from that day on, the Spirit of the Lord came powerfully upon David. Samuel then went to Ramah. Now the Spirit of the Lord had departed from Saul, and an evil spirit from the Lord tormented him. Saul's attendant said to him, See, an evil spirit from God is tormenting you. Let our Lord command his servants here to search for someone who can play the lyre. He will play when the evil spirit from God comes to you, and you will feel better. So Saul said to his attendants, find someone who plays well and bring him to me. One of the servants answered, I have seen a son of Jesse at Bethlehem who knows how to play the lyre. He is a brave man and a warrior. He speaks well and is a fine looking man. 
and the Lord is with him. Then Saul sent messengers to Jesse and said, Send me your son David, who is with the sheep. So Jesse took a donkey, loaded with bread, a skin of wine and a young goat, and sent them with his son David to Saul. David came to Saul and entered his service. Saul liked him very much, and David became one of his armor-bearers. Then Saul sent word to Jesse, saying, Allow David to remain in my service, for I am pleased with him. When the Spirit from God came on Saul, David would take up his lyre and play. Then relief would come to Saul. He would feel better, and the evil spirit would leave him. This is the word of the Lord. I want to ask you, uh, what do you see with your eyes? Look at the screen. Uh, what do you see with your own eyes? Let's start with this one. Do you see the duck or do you see the hare? Do you see, in the middle, do you see the, the, the vase or do you see two faces looking at each other? On the left, do you see an old, haggard woman with a, a crooked nose, or do you see a beautiful young girl with a, a feather in her head? So I, I can guarantee here that we'll be divided as to what we see. That's the reality. Our, our human eyes see things differently. You can take it off the screen now. I, I, I want to encourage us tonight. <laughs> Otherwise, you'll look at that and not, not listen to me. <laughs> That's a question like, how do you see things? Do, do you see people and do you see things the way that God sees people and the way that God sees things? It's a bit like when you, uh, you, you, you go to buy a house and you, you think you found this perfect house and it looks amazing and then you do this building inspection and they find that every single bit of timber has got termites in it. You couldn't see that with your human eyes. Or you've got a new person at work and, and you see them as competent and impressive. But in reality, they are totally incompetent and useless. Or it's like on a Sunday night, someone walks into church and we'd never do this, would you? But you judge people by the outward appearance. You think, oh, that's a bit of a weirdo. A bit nervous, a bit nerdy, a bit weird. But in reality, if you got to know them, you'd find they are extraordinarily gifted and talented and a beautiful person. We are very quick to see through human eyes, aren't we? And often we don't see how God sees. It's a bit like the, the Ukraine right now. We see the events in Ukraine through the eyes of the media. If you were there on the ground in Ukraine, you might see things quite differently. It may be way, way worse than we really think. Let me ask you a different question. How, how do you see yourself? How do you see yourself? How do you view yourself? Do you see yourself through your, your looks, your body shape, your age, your success, your achievements? Do you have an overinflated view of yourself or do you have an insecure view of yourself? How do you see yourself? Slightly different question. How do you see Jesus? Do you see Jesus as just a man, a political man, a religious man, a religious weirdo? Or do you see Jesus as 
the Son of God, the Messiah, the King of Kings, and the Lord of Lords. That's our question today. Do you see as God sees? And it's our question because the repeated word in 1 Samuel chapter 16 is the word see. That word see comes 14 times in this chapter. This chapter is all about how God sees people, and God often sees people so differently to how we see them. Let's start with Saul. How does God see Saul? The Lord sees Saul as rejected. That is not a positive word, is it? Look at verse 1. The Lord said to Samuel, How long will you mourn for Saul since I have rejected him as king over Israel? He's rejected by God because Saul is disobedient. Saul refuses to follow God. Saul refuses to obey God. He never does as God asks him to do. Bit of background. Saul was king of Israel. Uh, Israel asked for a king. God's people asked for a king. We want a king. We want a king, they said. 1 Samuel 8, verse 19. We want a king to rule over us. Then we'll be like all the other nations with a, a king to lead us and to go out before us and to fight our battles. That is so offensive to God. God's people are saying, we want to be like everybody else. We don't want to be different. We don't want to be distinct. And it's offensive to God because they already had a king. God was their king. God had led them through the wilderness. God had fought their battles. God had provided for their every need. But they said, we don't want God. We want a human king. They demanded a human king and God gave them a king. His name was Saul. Now to look at Saul through human eyes, you think, wow, what a great king. 1 Samuel 9 verse 2, Saul as handsome a young man as could be found anywhere in Israel, he was a head taller than anyone else. So outwardly, Saul was this tall, fit, good-looking, strappingly strong, uh, courageous man, powerful leader, rallied the nations, provided pit political strength, won battles, charmed people, fit, strong, charismatic personality, good communicator, amazing strategy, and wow! So Saul is the king the people chose for themselves with their own human eyes. It's a bit like when we're looking for leaders at church. Through human eyes, it is so easy to be impressed by the outward appearance, isn't it? Look the part, talk the talk, seem to be successful, they must be a leader. But God sees the heart. God does not see Saul as impressive. God sees Saul as rejected. You see, Saul had one fatal flaw. Saul had one catastrophic flaw. Nothing to do with his strategy or his skills. It was his heart. Saul had no heart towards God. Saul disobeyed God. Saul ignored God's word. Not occasionally, but constantly. Saul's mindset was, I don't need God. I am king. I don't want God. I know better than God's stuff you got. 1 Samuel 13, verse 13, you've done a foolish thing. You've not kept the command the Lord your God gave you. 1 Samuel 15, verse 10, God says, Saul has turned away from me and has not carried out my instructions. Or 1 Samuel 15, verse 26, Samuel says to Saul, you've rejected the word of the Lord and the Lord has rejected you. Rejecting the word of the Lord was his massive mistake. 
Because how could he lead God's people if he didn't love God and follow God? Now Saul rejected God, and so God rejected Saul. That's the way it works. And friends, it is so sad because so many people in our world, they reject God. They disobey God's word. And I'm not just talking about outside there in the world, even in churches. Many people have no respect for the word of God, no intention of keeping the word of God. They may have great leadership skills, great oratory skills. They may fool people, but God sees the heart. And I hope those words, rejected and disobedient, is not how God sees any of us. So Saul the king looked impressive, but God sees him as rejected. What about Samuel? Samuel the prophet, God sees him as obedient. It's a great word, obedient. Love verse 4, 16 verse 4. Samuel did what the Lord said. That's it, Samuel did what the Lord said. Samuel took God at his word. Samuel listened to God. He does what the Lord asked him to do. When we meet Samuel in verse 1, he is mourning, isn't he? Verse 1, the Lord said to Samuel, how long will you mourn for Saul? You've got to realise that Samuel is mourning because he's so distressed. He's distressed by the failure of Saul. He's distressed by the rebellion of Saul. He's distressed by the rejection of God. Because Samuel's this beautiful man who has a heart for God. He loves God. So when Samuel sees the word of God being disobeyed, he is heartbroken. When Samuel sees God's name and God's fame and God's honour being maligned, he is cut to the core. He has his heart for God. He has a heart for God's people. He cares for God's people. And when he sees Saul leading God's people astray, he weeps and weeps and weeps. Reminds me of Jesus weeping over Jerusalem, oh Jerusalem, oh Jerusalem. Reminds me of the Apostle Paul in Romans 9, weeping over the sins of the church. And I just wonder whether we ever mourn like Samuel mourned. Does your heart break when God's name is dishonoured? Does your heart break when God's word is disobeyed? Does your heart break over your sin and the sins of others? Do you weep over the failure of so-called leaders in God's church? Speaking personally, speaking honestly, the last two to three years I have been shattered and heartbroken by countless leaders in God's church, one by one by one by one. And the sin of leadership and the abuse of leadership and the deceit of leadership And God's name is being dishonoured and God's people are hurting and we should weep over that, shouldn't we? Verse 1. God says to Samuel, fill your horn with oil. Get ready to appoint a king. Be on your way. I'm sending you to Jesse of Bethlehem. We've no idea whether Samuel knew Jesse or Jesse knew Samuel, but God says go. I've chosen one of his sons to be king. But Samuel says, verse 2, how can I go? Samuel's kind of saying, I've got to pass through Gibeah. That's where Saul lives. And Saul hates me. And Saul's got a massive army. I can't go. If I go, verse 2, if Saul hears about it, he will kill me. And so you've got this man, Samuel, who is obedient, but he's gripped by fear. 
Because Samuel just sees the obstacles in the way. He just sees other humans in his way. If we don't take God at his word, if we don't see through the eyes of God, then fear is a normal human reaction. Fear comes from lack of faith. But I love verse 4. Samuel did what the Lord says. And the Lord asked Samuel to do something pretty crazy. God says to Samuel, take a heifer, verse 2, Go and say, I've come to sacrifice to the Lord and invite Jesse to the sacrifice. Sounds really crazy. Do you ever read God's word and it sounds utterly crazy? Do you ever have your Bibles open and you're thinking, really, God, you want me to do that? Because it's so countercultural, it's so different to what the world says. Now, believe me, friends, if God asks you to do something, it is the right thing to do. So live by faith, not by fear. Now, Sam is obedient. But he still sees through human eyes. Uh, look at verse 6. When they arrived, Samuel saw Eliab. He saw Jesse's eldest son and thought, surely the Lord's anointed stands here before the Lord. Uh, Samuel sees Eliab, and Eliab is a tall, good-looking, strong hunk of a man. All man, all muscle. A high EQ, charismatic personality. And Saul thinks, this is the kind of guy who should be king. Samuel is mesmerised by the outward appearance. We'd never do that, would we? We wouldn't be mesmerised by what someone looks like or how successful they are, would we? Samuel might be impressed by Eliab, but God's not. Because if you know your Bibles, the last strong Paul, man in the Bible was called Saul and that didn't end, that didn't end too well, did it? Now, verse 7 is a key verse. The Lord said to Samuel, do not consider his appearance or his height. Stop looking at external. Stop judging by what you find impressive. Stop thinking like the world thinks. I have rejected him, says God. He's not my chosen one. This is it. The Lord does not look at things people look at. People look at the outward appearance, but the Lord looks at the heart. Ouch, that stings, doesn't it? Let's be honest. We are often so superficial. We're often so swayed by outward appearance. But the Lord looks at the heart. Don't judge a book by the cover. God is not impressed by power or pedigree. He wants the heart. So Samuel obeys, and we don't know how... Samuel heard the voice of the Lord, but he does what God tells him to do. Verse 8, the next son, Adimabad passes by and Samuel says no. Verse 9, Shammah passes by, Samuel says no. Verse 10, all seven sons pass by and God says no, 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 no. Let me be very clear here. God, God is not against good-looking people. It's okay to be good-looking. It's okay to be fit and strong. But please never think that your good looks or your outward appearance are impressive to God. Please never think that your outward appearance either qualifies you or disqualifies you from leadership. And I wish that some churches realise that because too many churches go for personality, not prayerfulness. Good looks over godliness. Now Samuel is obedient. That's what God wants, obedience. So Saul is rejected. Samuel is obedient. Now, now, how does God see David? I love this one. The Lord sees David as chosen. 
Isn't that a beautiful word, chosen? comes in verse 1. God says to Samuel, I have chosen one of his sons. I've chosen David to be king. God sees David as chosen, chosen by God, elected by God, selected by God, picked out by God, set apart by God for God. I love that phrase, he's chosen. A friend of mine at, at school was adopted. And they'd often say, I'm so thankful I was adopted because my parents chose me. That's how much my parents loved me. They saw me and they chose me. This, this is God. He sees David and chooses him. You heard that phrase often used of David, David is a man after God's own heart. Have you heard that phrase? It comes from 1 Samuel 13, verse 14, a man after his own heart. But here's the thing. This is not talking about David's character. This is not about David being this great and godly man. This is not about David being a man with a heart like God's heart. This is not about God seeing to the soul of David and go, wow, David, you are so amazing. You, you think like me, you act like me, you talk like me. Wow, David, you are so great and so godly, I think I might have to choose you. We know that's not true, don't we? Because David is not great and godly. He's a murderer, he's a liar, he's an adulterer, he's a ruthless man. So we're not talking about David's heart, we're talking about God's heart. A man after God's heart, a man of God's choosing, literally. That's what the phrase means, a man that God has set God's heart on. So it's less about David and his qualities and more about God and his choosing. Less about David's godliness and more about God's gracious, electing, choosing of David. David is chosen. God's heart was for David. And he's the most unlikely choice, isn't he? Verse 11. Samuel asked Jesse, are these all the sons you have? And Jesse says, well, there is still the youngest. There's one more, but I didn't think you want to see him. He, he's just a shepherd boy. He's out there tending the sheep. It's one of those who would have thought it moments because God, God chooses the most unlikely people. David is so unlikely. He is so unknown. He's so obscure. And did you notice we don't even know his name? He's just called the youngest. But verse 11, Samuel says, no, send for him. We will not sit down until he arrives. So verse 12, he sent for David and had him brought in. He was glowing with health and had a fine appearance and handsome features. Literally, verse 12 reads, he had a ruddy complexion. He was a redhead with beautiful eyes and good looking. And I love that. It's so ironic, isn't it? God does not care about good looks. David's not chosen because of his good looks, but he's still a good looking chap. <laughs> but the key is that he's chosen by God. I love this about our God. If you read your Bibles, God has this strange and refreshing way of choosing the most unlikely people, doesn't he? Now God chose Abraham, who was old and childless. Now God chose Moses, who didn't speak very well. He chose Moses to lead the people. God chose Jeremiah, who was melancholic and a manic depressive. God chose Ruth the Moabite widow. God chose Rahab, the prostitute, and God chose David, the lad who kept the sheep. Now, Samuel would never have chosen David because Samuel looked at the outward appearance, but, but God chose David. 
Not because of anything he'd done, not because he was amazing talent, not because he was superior, he just chose him. Verse 12, the Lord says, Now rise and anoint him. The word there is Messiah him. Rise and Messiah him. This is the one. This is the one I've chosen literally. So verse 13, Samuel took the horn of oil and anointed, messiahed David in the presence of his brothers. Now Saul is still king. For another seven years, Saul will be king. Until 2 Samuel, Saul will be king, reigning with disobedience, injustice, violence and pride, but God has anointed and chosen his king. He's called David. And I hope you realise that something important happened in that little town of Bethlehem that day. God's chosen king was anointed. Now you're making the links. A thousand years later in a little town called Bethlehem, something more profoundly important happened. Uh, There were shepherds out in the field keeping watch over their flocks at night and an angel appeared to them and says, uh, today in the town of David, in the line of David, a saviour has been born. And the shepherds say, let's go to Bethlehem and see this thing that's happened. And so they go to Bethlehem and what do they find? A strapping, tall, strong leader. They find a baby wrapped in cloths and lying in a manger. Not outwardly impressive. Now, King Herod looked impressive. He was strong, he was mighty. But baby Jesus, he looks completely unimpressive. But God sees Jesus as his chosen king. God sees Jesus as his anointed king, the one chosen to die. A saviour has been born, the one who will save you from your sins. And outwardly, our Lord Jesus did not look impressive. Read Isaiah 53, he had no beauty or majesty to attract us to him. Nothing in his appearance that we should desire him. Like one from whom people hide their faces, he was despised and we held him in low esteem. So through human eyes, Jesus is not good looking, he's not strong, he's a bit of a weirdo. But through God's eyes... He's his chosen, anointed Messiah and King. Remember the baptism of Jesus? That voice came from heaven. This is my son whom I love. This is my chosen one. Is that how you see Jesus? The chosen Messiah, the chosen King, the one who was chosen to die for you? I have the privilege this week of leading Alpha. On on Tuesday night, we're going to look at the, the, the video, Who is Jesus? It's the most important question. Who is Jesus? And I'm just praying and praying and praying like mad that everyone on my table will see through the eyes of God and say, yeah, he is the king. Is that how you see Jesus, the chosen king? So God sees David as chosen. God sees Jesus as chosen. Now, this is the mind-blowing bit. If you believe in Jesus... If you believe that Jesus is your Messiah, your King, he died for your sins, then God sees you as as chosen. Do you ever think like that? I am chosen. I'm chosen by God. When I was at high school, I was pretty terrible at sport. That is an understatement. I was dreadful at sport. And you know those awful sports lessons where they pick teams for soccer? Have you ever do that? And they line you all up and they choose two captains and those two captains pick their teams. The problem was there were way more people in the class than there were people on teams. And so not everyone was chosen. This is a true fact. I was never 
chosen to play soccer. I was sent on cross-country runs, every sports lesson. That's why I'm so good at running. <laughs> but 30 years ago, I became a Christian. And I read in the Bible an amazing verse. It says that I did not choose Jesus, but Jesus chose me. Jesus chose me. And I realized how damaged and wounded I was, never being chosen. And it's a moment of liberation because who cares if no one chose me? Because God had chosen me. And God chose me not because of good looks or sporting ability or intellect or academic achievements. God chose me because he chose me. God chose me because God's heart was for me, not against me. As I read the Bible, in Ephesians chapter 1, it says that God chose you. God chose you before the creation of the world. So before you were born, God chose you. Let me ask you, what have you done before the creation of the world? What have you done before you've been born? And the answer is nothing. You've done nothing good and you've done nothing bad. There was nothing of your outward appearance that was attracted to God because he didn't know what you looked like. But he chose you. And I hope you believe that. God did not choose you because somehow you're this amazing person who'll be brilliant for his church. God didn't choose you because of your looks or your intellect or your body shape. God just chose you because he chose you. And it is the most liberating, the most reassuring doctrine of Scripture. Why are we so scared by this doctrine of election it's called? That God chooses you because he chooses you. It rids you of any pride. You're not a somebody. You're not amazing. You're just chosen. And it rids you of insecurities. Who cares if no one human chooses you because your heavenly father has chosen you? I'm chosen. That's how God sees David. That's how God called Jesus. And that's how God calls you. We'll finish with this. God sees David as empowered Another great word. He's empowered. Verse 13, Samuel took the horn of oil and anointed him in the presence of his brothers. And from that day on, the Spirit of the Lord came powerfully upon David. From that day on, David is empowered by the Spirit of the Lord. The Spirit of the Lord, the the same Spirit who hovered over the deep at creation, the same Spirit who created this universe, the same Spirit who empowered Samson. This is the Holy Spirit who's going to come upon David and empower David for life and ministry. David has this new power. It's not about David's inner strength. It's not about his own intellect. It's about a power beyond himself, about a life-giving, life-transforming, equipping enabling, empowering Spirit of God that we call the Holy Spirit. And I love this. God didn't choose David and say, now I've chosen you for this task. Go on, you can do this in your own strength. Because David can't. God said, I've chosen you and I'm going to equip you and I'm going to empower you with my strength and my power and my spirit. And I think way, way, way too many Christians forget that. We don't just start with the Holy Spirit. We continue with the Holy Spirit and we can only live by the Holy Spirit. Now again, something profound is happening, verse 13. From that day on, that is new. 
From that day onwards, it's a constant, permanent presence of the Holy Spirit. The Spirit doesn't come on David to empower him for a particular task, a particular moment. The Spirit is always with David, never leaves David, no matter how far he falls or fails. So the Spirit came powerfully on David. And do you remember the, the baptism of the Lord Jesus Christ? What happened after that voice from heaven saying, this is my son whom I love? What happened next? Remember, the Spirit of God descended on him like a dove. And the Spirit came on Jesus to empower him and to equip him for his life and his ministry to enable him to do that faithful, obedient, perfect life. And it is the same with you, the same with me. As soon as you say, I'm chosen, as soon as you say yes to Jesus, at that very moment, the Spirit of the Lord doesn't just come on you, but it comes in you. He comes in you. The same Spirit that raised Christ from the dead lives in you, empowering you for that task of living for Jesus, empowering you for obedience, empowering you for mission, empowering you to live godly, upright, beautiful lives. And you really, really, really cannot do the Christian life without the indwelling power of the Holy Spirit, can you? And again, I wish you really believed that. Because way too many of us try to live the Christian life without him. And then we're discouraged or we're arrogant and proud. David's empowered by the Holy Spirit with extraordinary results. We're not going to look at this, but verses 14 down to 23, these very, very strange verses where Saul is tormented, tormented by an evil spirit and he has kind of music therapy. And whenever David comes into the presence of Saul, what happens? Whenever David steps into the presence of Saul, Saul's torment ceases. Saul experiences this, this calm, this peace in the presence of, not David, in the presence of the Holy Spirit. Do you understand that? When the Spirit comes into the presence of torment and evil, it brings this, this peace and this calmness. That's what Jesus did, didn't he? Jesus steps into this world where there's evil and there's torment and he brings this calm, he brings this peace. And can I suggest, just perhaps, just perhaps if we Christians really believe that we're indwelt by the Holy Spirit, we might bring this calmness and this peace into a tormented world. He brings this calmness, but it's not an easy life, is it? Please don't think that just because you're empowered by the Holy Spirit, you're going to have a trouble-free life. Because it's almost like as soon as the Spirit came on David, his life got way, way, way worse. You know, he was pursued by Saul, he was trapped in caves, he was betrayed all over the place. Don't think a Spirit-filled life is an easy life. It's not an easy life. It's an exciting life. It's an empowering life. Because God is with you and God never leaves you. So I'll ask you again, how do you see people and how do you see life? Please don't see through human eyes. Please don't judge people on outward appearances. Please don't see yourself by your looks, your body shape, your marital status, your age, your, your intellect. See as God sees you. And how does God see you? What are the two words? I am chosen and I am empowered by the Holy Spirit. Can we say that? I am chosen and I am empowered by the Holy Spirit. Praise God. Let me pray. Father, thank you for these great truths. 
that David was chosen by you and empowered by your spirit. And our Lord Jesus was chosen and empowered. And you see us as believers here tonight, empowered by your spirit and chosen by you. I feel I need to pray for any who are here tonight who see themselves through the lens that they are somehow not worthy maybe shaped by what people have said about them or the way they see their own body or their looks or their intellect and they don't see themselves as beautiful in your sight. And I pray, Spirit of God, that you would remind those people that they are chosen by you because you love them. Chosen by you and empowered by your Spirit. And in Jesus' name we pray.